0: you're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast, for more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the chance to be able to talk about your word. Lord, I thank you, God, that we have people that volunteer to come up here and play instruments and sing God all for your glory and for leading people to worship you. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit meets us in that and stirs our hearts. And Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, through the preaching of your word, God, that you'll stir up the hearts of your people. And Lord, if there's somebody in here that doesn't know you, God, that you'll stir theirs up as well. And Lord, call them to salvation. And Lord, we just give you thanks for what you're about to do. And we just pray all this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to read and then I'm going to let you sit down. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 14. Here in this passage, we're starting in verse 22, and this is a famous chapter in the life of Christ. What happens here is that he's just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. So it's heavy news. This is his partner a lot, in a lot of ways of ministry, and this is his blood kinfolk that just got killed by Herod. Jesus finds that out and tells us that he goes, he goes away. He gets in a boat. He goes by himself and he sails off and everybody follows him. And he comes out, and he finds this big multitude of people out there, and they're all wanting to hear from him. And it says that he has compassion on them, and he starts to teach them. And then it leads us to this great passage where they're in this isolated place because they've chased Jesus this far. Oh, thank you. Okay, so they've chased Jesus this far. Jesus has compassion. He teaches them. And then his disciples, who are like, it's so cute because they're like bodyguards for Jesus, like, hey, Jesus. It's an isolated place. You may not realize this, but there's not a fast food restaurant. There's no kitchen. These people are going to get hungry. And Jesus is like, hey, you feed them. I'm like, Hey, we don't, we don't have anything. All we have are these five loaves, two fish we found out in the crowd. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus used those five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men that day and their families that were with them. And so, once that happens, we pick up here in this passage in verse 22. So we'll jump in. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? All right, y'all can be seated. And we've already prayed once. You never want to pray too much in a sermon. Um, so here's the thing we have this passage we all know about it we know the background now and all of us have been hearing this story about Jesus walking on the water all of our lives if you've been if you grew up in church <clears throat> and even if you didn't people would say stuff like this I have just written as just a, like a working title is like Jesus walks on water and Peter does too for a few seconds right um and all of us have that old Sunday school mentality when we read it. We have this sometimes Disney version of the Bible, and it's that they're in this little boat, and it's windy, and they're maybe having to row because the, the waves aren't really helping. So they're having their, the waves are in their way, and they're having to row. They're battling with the boat and then they see Jesus there and the disciples stupid disciples they're so lame they're afraid of Jesus cuz they're scaredy cats but Jesus reassures them and then Peter says he's going to step out and we picture this like small step onto the water where Peter like just steps out maybe even test it like uh-huh uh, okay it's holding me up for a second um, we have that image and then silly Peter <laughs> He looks at the wind, and he says, he starts getting distracted. He gets afraid, and the idea, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink, and he's like, Jesus, help me, okay? And God, Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs him. Worst version, there's, there could be a musical, and I even wanted to act out a musical, but I don't feel safe here, so I'm not gonna do it anymore. But it went something like this. Um, the water's squishy under my feet. Will it hold me up? Oh, great. And then anyways, then everybody breaks into songs and then Jesus comes in and then you have the background of like a theatrical scene of like the cardboard moving moving thing, it could work. Um, so here's the thing, <clears throat> we all have that vision and I was once like you, <laughs> silly, silly congregation. I didn't have any nautical experience or knowledge like you at one time and I would have read the story the same way you would have. But luckily, God blessed me recently with an experience that opened the story up to a whole new world for me. Back last year, you know, I'm a little crazy, like, and let me say this. I really believe, like, I just trust in God so much that I will do something believing that God will deliver me. And then I battle with, like, don't put, your, don't put the Lord your God up to a foolish test kind of stuff. But last year, I made the statement that, you know what, I would really like to just buy, like, an old sailboat, like an old sailboat, something really cheap. And then, you know, my thought was, one day me and Alicia live on that thing and sell everything we have and live in a sailboat. We're not there. Um, and I don't want to live on the reservoir, so we would have to move. But uh, we had this, I had this thing, and I'm telling uh, some of my brother-in-laws on Alicia's side of the family, I'm telling them about this. And the youngest— and many may say most naive because of his youth. Um, he, he says, you know what? I would like to do that too. And then whenever I'm getting ready to leave, he's like, hey, Ledge, I'm serious. If you find a boat, I'll go in with you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, then I'm like, I hadn't looked for boats ever. And I'm like, you know what? Facebook Marketplace. Let's see if we can find a boat. And then <clears throat> you're not supposed to find them on Facebook Marketplace. But I did. I found a boat in Pensacola, Florida. And it was... It was a 1983 Morgan 384. So it's 30 feet long and it's got some termites, right? So I look up, research fiberglass hull termites and it's like, okay, well, it, termites don't really eat the fiberglass so it's got a pretty new engine in it and it's super cheap because the termites are so bad and oh, also it was hit by a hurricane and sat in flood water for a long time in the cabin. So it's, it's in rough shape. And um, me and my brother-in-law Chandler, I sent it to him, and I'm thinking he's going to just shoot it down. And he's like, hey, let's call. And I'm like, oh, man, this is really good. I got a great partner in this effort. So I call, and the boat dealer guy, somebody just died. This is in his estate. They got to probate his estate. They got to get the boat and all this junk. And we work it out for us to come and get the boat. And we're taking our little bit of cash because it's a really cheap boat, taking it down there. So one Friday, I take off work. I, leave about, I wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning. We get stuff settled. Um, Chandler's a, hand, a really handy guy, so if something like electricals messed up that I can't figure out, he can. I've been YouTubing a lot of sailing videos um, and seeing how it goes. And we're going to sail this boat from the Air Force Base in Pensacola all the way to Pass Christiane, Mississippi, where there's the only slip you could find. That's the only free slip we could find as far as, like, available, so we go down there um, and we get on the boat. And I'll be honest, when I see that boat, I'm a little like discouraged, like, hey, this thing doesn't look too good. The pictures, he, he put a filter on the pictures. But there's still my romantic spirit, like, hey, we're gonna fix it up, we'll wash it off. We get in, it cranks up, the engine's purring like a kitten. It's got three fourths of a tank of gas. And although I had never sailed before, and neither had Chandler, and we had no experience whatsoever on the water or with boats. We just take off out of this boat slip to go to Pass Christiane, Mississippi. Now, luckily, there were a lot of unknowns. And John, if you want just the first picture, not the sunset, but the first picture that I sent to you. Oh, wow. We need a new projector. We all know that. You know, I jokingly want to be like, hey, what? nothing's wrong with the projector. Maybe you have a stigmatism. Um, but unless our whole congregation has a stigmatism. But this is us in the water. Spirit's bright. Um, luckily, a few things were on the boat that we didn't know about, like a Garmin system that had this built-in software to tell you where you were. And that's going to come in really important later. Um, and then we move along down through close to Mobile. We're going um, and we go to Perdido Bay area. John, that's the sunset picture. Tell me that's not worth it, right? Worth maybe dying. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, with the dog, like we could, we see this beautiful sunset, and I'm just like basking in the winds in my face. We're the only boat out there for some reason, um, <clears throat> and we don't know how to work the anchor or any of that. So it's like we'll just keep sailing until we get to pass Christiane. Um, so we keep on going. Um, And listen, the boat actually has like this autopilot thing. Once again, without all of these pieces coming together, if God had not allowed for all that to be there, I think we would have sunk the boat and had to be rescued. So we didn't know, but we got into it and God delivered. But then we get to this point at two o'clock in the morning. This is the next picture. And this is the iPhone 13 that allowed for me to take this nighttime picture. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's just a full moon. We're in the middle of what they call the intercoastal waterway, I think is ICW. And it's this little like water highway on the base of the coast of our our nation. It goes, you can go through around Texas. Anyways, we're in the middle of this thing and we're watching the GPS and we didn't have to have any lights or anything. Like the moon is just lit up. You could see for miles and the water is like glass. And in this moment, I'm like, man, God, this is So awesome. Like the fact that you created this and I get to experience it, this moment of worship. And then that moment passed, and around three o'clock in the morning, fog happened. When we got to Mississippi, old messy Mississippi. Fog lays in really thick fog. And it's really cold because this is February. And so we're sitting there and I'm like holding onto the wheel of this boat, and my hands are like numb and shivering. And the fog is so bad, you cannot see 10 feet in front of the stern of this boat or whatever the front of the boat's called. You can't see 10 feet in front of it. And so we are sailing by Garmin. The Garmin like, I'm just looking and staying on my line. And if there was a post or an old boat or a random rock, we were gonna hit it square on. And we didn't slow down because we're both getting tired and we gotta get to pass Christian because we need to sleep. And so these moments all faded away and we were just sailing by Garmin and faith, and I'm praying like, God, just please don't let anything be in front of this boat, and we sailed for like 19 hours straight, and then we land in past Christian the next morning, so thank God for that. It was only when I was surrounded by that fog, and John, you can get rid of the picture, I'm surrounded by the fog, and uh, dolphins came up, like throughout, like dolphins would come, even at two o'clock in the morning, dolphins came up, and it was like God sent them to comfort my spirit, But then the dolphins were gone. The fog was there. The cold, miserable night had set in. And I thought, you know what? We did not give the disciples enough credit. Because when it's dark and uneven water out there, because it gets choppy, and you're in the night all by yourself on water, it's creepy out there. And if some person had walked up on the water randomly from the side all of us would have gone into a high-pitched kindergartner. Jesus! Help! It's creepy out there. And so the disciples are struggling. And they were right. When they see Jesus on the water, we're all judgmental. We're too sophisticated. We know too much. No, all of us would be scared to death in that moment. And they are. And so all of them are like screaming like girls. And Jesus has to assure them, they don't know who it is. And Jesus has to assure them, hey, it's me. Calm down. And that's when we have, once again, I wanna make sure we give Peter credit here. When he hears the voice of Jesus, he actually calls back and says, hey, if it's you, call me out with you onto the water. And I wanna point out though, in boats, your boat usually isn't sitting low in the water. It usually sits up out of the water. And the Bible tells us that he had to climb down off the boat into the water. And so Peter does this in this moment that it's scary. The last thing I wanted to do in the middle of the night is, and especially we had power, like an engine and we could turn around, is to get out into the water. Peter risked getting out into the water to go to Jesus in that moment. I think we need to understand what he was actually doing and how powerful it actually was. And for us, you know, there's a lot of symbolism built into this sermon, like into this passage. You can make the waves, like the fact that the waves are beating up against the boat. You can make the courage that Peter had to have, the trust in God that he had to have to get up out of that boat, that he had to leave his sense of security. Because remember, this was legit fear. Eleven other, some of them fishermen, stayed in the boat. And so Peter calls out and he waits for Jesus to call him back. He wasn't like, hey, God, I'm on my way. I'm going to come get you, see you and getting out and running to him. He waits for Jesus. He gets per- permission, his authorization from God before he takes the step. So don't take this message and be like, you know what? I think God's called me to quit my job. Or my God's called me to date that person or marry that person. No, you call and ask God and he will call you into it, Right. But what this message is, is that we have these moments in life where we can step out of our sense of security and we can step into the call of God in our life and we can walk towards God. You know, in James, it talked about in James chapter one, we read it a few weeks ago that the guy that doubts, the person that doubts, they're like a wave of the ocean tossed back and forth, right? And a lot of times in our culture, in our tumultuous culture, so many people are doubting now. It's almost like everybody's moving. And there's times where we as Christians are afraid to step out into the midst of that, into the call of God in our life that he may have in the midst of the tempest of the world, of the culture, to step into it and have stability in Jesus alone. And so Peter steps out. He trusts God in that moment. The other 11, they don't get out. They're still, they're still in the boat. So then there's a lot of questions around the other 11, not just with Peter, but let's look and see. So one question that we have, like the reasons why someone stays in the boat, all right? So if somebody stays in the boat, we would say like they're comfortable, right? They're actually comfortable in the boat. It's a lot more comfortable in the boat than it is to step out of it. I also think that the 11 might have had a little bit of criticism, <coughs> I don't know how to cough without coughing into the mic, so <laughs> um, we'll figure that out. When they, when they stay in the boat, and people are always like this, like the people that play it safe usually feel the freedom to critique the one that puts it out there, right? Alan, and I talked recently about um, Teddy Roosevelt and the man in the arena. And he goes on to say, like, everybody's wanting to, like, talk about this guy, but he's the one laying on the line, he's the one stepping out there and risking it all. But for those that stay in the boat, they like to critique the one that actually gets out of it. And so if it's the person that shares their faith, you'll have some obnoxious Christian be like, well, if I was sharing my faith, I wouldn't have done it like that. Or you'll have somebody up here preaching. You've got some little pimple-faced undergrad student be like, "Well, actually my philosophy class, my freshman year. Right. Over and over again, people that don't step out of the boat like to critique those that do. And it's just to kind of comfort their own, maybe to suppress their own conviction. And so I don't know that maybe the disciples, and we don't have this in this passage because I think all the disciples were actually Christians. But in the church, you don't have all Christians. And so those are the ones that I really feel that they think they have the freedom to critique who steps up. So, you know, Davion gets up here and maybe stumbles over his words. It's like, well, if I was up there, I probably would have flown like a Andre 3000. <laughs> I would have been like most deaf up there. See, hip-hop, y'all. So there's you got it. All right, so here's the thing. We had that criticism. We are critiquing Davion, but he was the one that stepped out in that moment and tried to do something to serve God. And we do the same thing with musicians, right? It's like, oh my God, Dole forgot the words. <sighs> He's not in here. Also, the fact that on some of our songs, y'all, we've asked Dole to hit the notes of like a 1980s rock star. I mean... I sing Jesus, he's hitting high notes there. And the whole crowd, we're all like, we're gonna bow out here. We'll just go falsetto. We're gonna go falsetto. Um, it's difficult to step out and do things that God, that God calls you to. And for those that stay in the boat, this is what I think we should take from it. Not a spirit of criticism and not a spirit of like, hey, I'm gonna help them get better. I'm gonna help Davion get better by telling him everything he did wrong. <laughs> Um, and if you have that mentality, come to me, and I'll help you get better by everything I think you do wrong. But not a spirit of criticism, but one of encouragement, and not a spirit of just encouraging that person, but a spirit of being encouraged by the act of that person. The truth is, is that what happened with Peter, it actually encourages the Christians in the boat. So the question is, can a Christian stay in the boat? Yes, but so can a Judas. Judas is one of the eleven. And there's a lot of false converts that'll hang in the boat of the church. They'll stay there, they never get out, they never respond to the call of Christ on their life out onto the water, and then they eventually betray all of it. Like that happens too. So yeah, a Christian can stay in the boat, but so can a Judas. One of the things that I love about this passage is that, first off, it's a picture of salvation. Like this walk on the water moment where, he, where Jesus is calling. This is actually, I think, a picture of salvation. It's like, hey God, if that's you, call me to you. And so for some of you who've never been saved, you've never had that moment where you called out to God to be saved and he pulled your heart towards him and you were able to become a Christian in that moment. But it's also the call of God on every Christian's life that we step out into the work of God in the midst of stormy, wavy, unstable culture. And too many Christians are like the 11 disciples today. We're huddled up in boats, and the truth is, we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of how we're going to be treated, of what names we might be called. We're afraid of what may happen to our paycheck. We're afraid of what may happen to our people, the people that we love. And the truth is, we're afraid to step out into a turbulent culture and to take a stand for the things of God, because we don't know if we're going to sink in the midst of it. So, Peter gives us something to look up to. And guess what? Jesus gets onto him. Like, he gets out there, he steps onto the water, and we really don't know what it looks like. We know that the waves are against the boat, and we know that the wind is somehow scary. And we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us. Once again, the Bible's not telling us. This isn't a screenplay, it's a historical document. Like, do Peter's feet kind of sink an inch into the water where he hits stability? Or is he like on ice kind of thing? (laughs) Like, what is the texture of this water for Peter? And I don't want to go too far down that trail. I just want to say, there's a lot that we don't know. But he steps out and he feels stability, that Jesus is holding him up. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And then he looks at the wind, and he starts to to freak out a little bit. And the Bible says that he starts to sink. Now, let me ask you, if I had you on the water, and you were stable, and I removed— i removed what was holding you up how fast do you sink pretty quick so by god's grace it says that peter starts to sink and maybe it was somehow proportional to the faith that he had in the moment i don't know all we know is that for all of us about like, like and like Joo-la-la. um but peter doesn't do that he starts to sink and has enough time to be able to ask jesus to save him and Jesus, being the good God that he is, reaches out and takes his hand and pulls him up. And so that's the security that we have, that we know that if God calls us into something, if he calls us into unstable an unstable territory, that Jesus is there to pick us up when maybe our faith doesn't measure up to what it needs to be. And we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus doesn't lose a sinner. People ask, can a Christian lose their salvation? The question is, can Jesus lose a sinner? No. Can Jesus lose a Christian? Sorry. <laughs> That's very important there. Can Jesus lose a Christian? No. And he doesn't lose Peter. It's like, oh, I lost one. <laughs> no, he actually brags on God later when he prays. He says, I, everyone you gave me, I kept. We kept them. All right, so Peter steps out. He has this moment. So many of us will never have that moment where we actually do that. We'll never take out that faith. We'll never work up that courage. And maybe God's calling you today to do something different. Like maybe God's calling you to step out of the boat and step out under the water and that you need to be asking God what that vision looks like. And listen, I have a lot of health and wealth things that you could use here. Like Maybe God wants you to have that job or maybe God wants you to have that promotion and you need to step out of that boat. Maybe God wants you to have that spouse. If you're married, he wants you to have a spouse you have probably. And so yeah, the spouse you have, so just enjoy that. Um, those are. We'll get rid of all those don't let your walk on water moment be carnal. It's like, don't let your walk on water moment be a worldly thing. God called me to apply for that job. That ain't walking on water, all right? And this is what I'll say as a caveat. Don't let your walk on water water moment be the big faith step that you take with God. Don't let it just be about a job. or about like, you know, God called us to build this house. Okay. Okay. Yeah. God wanted you to have more square footage. Maybe. I don't know. Unless that carnal step, that seemingly materialistic step is a catalyst to something spiritual. Maybe the job that you're in right now is one that whenever you have it, you're kind of secure there, you're insulated there, and God needs to get you out of it so you can actually do some kingdom work. Maybe you're working with a bunch of Christians and he's like, Hey, I need to throw you in a bar. (laughs) You know, like I got to put you somewhere where you're around lost folks and you can win people to Jesus. Maybe that's it. But hopefully our walk on water moment, these steps that we're going to take in faith are moments where it's like, I want to evangelize more. I want to be able to tell more people about Jesus. I want to disciple Christians that I know, people that I genuinely believe. They had a real relationship. They had a real salvation experience. But now they're languishing because they're not actually walking with God. Maybe God's calling that, your faith step is that. I'm going to step in to really weird situations where Jesus is working, and I'm going to help people do what Jesus wants them to do. But too many Christians are still huddled up in the boat. And then the question is, if you're going to stay there, are you a Judas or are you a Christian? I don't know. And maybe God's calling you out. You know what I like about the walk on water moments with 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 Jesus here? And we'll pick it back up. Well, before we do that, there's time and time again in my life, because I'm kind of crazy, and I just do some of these things, and um, where God comes through, and it it's even like the, the Garmin being on the boat or the fact that it didn't leak. I mean, it could have sunk out there um, and we would have figured out that the emergency system doesn't work, <laughs> but we're fine. Um, in those moments where we take that step out and we kind of do something a little dangerous, that we do something that we're really dependent on God to come through, um, it lets us see the power of God that can happen around us in our life. Uh, the truth is for the rest of, of Peter's life, He remembers the moment of stepping out onto the water. He tells us children about the moment of stepping out onto the water. And so for a lot of us, if we could take those steps of faith that God's calling us into, it's the moment where our faith blows up. Like it's the moment where it grows. It's something sturdy. It's stable. Our faith is grown. It is bolstered by the experience of stepping out into the unstable after hearing the call of Jesus on our life. If you don't have that moment, then you don't have that growth of your faith. And so the truth is you stay in the boat. And I'm going to stay here. It's safe here. And where the person that steps out and follows Jesus, and even though they have to get rescued, even though Peter failed to walk on water, he has this moment where he trusts in God that much more. Because for a moment, I was on top of the water. And something supernatural kept me there. And then when I started to sink, Jesus got me up he gets the moment that nobody else in the boat gets. And it's why people that will serve God radically will have radical faith because they actually have stuff happen in their life. They see God work. Now, listen, a lot of us that stay in the boat will have that same experience in different ways because we get a diagnosis or we get told we're getting laid off or we get told that our child is never going to be able to do blank because of this we get thrown into some water and Jesus and God, they come through in that moment and our faith should grow because we're like, hey, God came through and he blessed me then. But here's the danger for the people that stay in the boat versus the people that actually step out into the water. The ones that step out into the water have their faith grown and strengthened. The ones that stay, stay in the boat, they walk away thinking, man, that's a good boat. <laughs> have you seen the boat? Like those waves are crashing all around it. And that boat held up. You know, my granddaddy made that boat. So some people walk away with a belief, a bigger, stronger belief in Jesus, and some walk away with a bigger, stronger belief in the boat, in the material things. They take more comfort in the degree they earned or the job they got or the relationship they have than they actually do the God that blessed them with it. And so don't let your walk on water moment be just about the carnal Let it be a moment that it's about what the Lord's doing in your life, that God is actually having to come through or you're going to sink kind of moment. Because if that happens, and I had all these personal things I was going to share, but we won't do that. If that happens, then we get to verse 30. I'm going to pick up in verse 31, even though we already read that one passage. All right, so verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him, 'You, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Their faith is strengthened. They just witnessed something special. They're all Christians, um, except Judas. Um, In verse 34, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, whatever. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, so when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So here's this passage. We see the, the, the faith and even the failure of Peter. We see the faithfulness of Jesus, that he rescues people, that he saves them, even when they falter. Um, we see that even people in the boat take encouragement, which is what we said. They take encouragement from this work of God in Peter's life. And the fact that he calms the storm, like he actually, the wind goes away, he does that down. So in this passage, everybody is like, when they've seen what happened, they're just like juiced by it, you know? Like, I just saw something incredible happen. And that's what happens in the church. When somebody really steps up, and it doesn't matter if it's even in our body of Christ, there's other Christians and other places that we read their stories of the moment that they stepped up, they stepped out into faith, into the call of God on their life. And when that happened, God came through and delivered in such a way that everybody else was like pumped by it. And that's what's supposed to happen. If we walk with God, if we take that step, if we do that thing, that people actually are encouraged by it. So this passage tells us that the 11 that were in the boat are like, oh man, we just saw something incredible. Peter, the same. It doesn't tell us that he held his head in shame and he was pouting all day because he fell in the water and got his shoes wet. I don't know. Um, It doesn't tell us any of that. Peter is juiced by this and Jesus gets out. He's already in like the rock star phase, right? And people recognize Jesus. And my guess is the 12 disciples were just that bigger hype men. Like, when they got out, they're like, hey, is this the Jesus we've been hearing about? He's like, yeah, Brooke. <laughs> this Jesus is the one that walked on water last night. I saw him own two eyes. My friend Peter, he tried to get out. He tried to do the same thing, and Jesus let him for a little while, and then he started looking around. And he fell, but this Jesus just did this, and it's like everybody's getting hyped about Jesus in this moment because of the faith, the, the act of one to try to live and do something radical for him. And so then it says that Jesus, and we don't get this in every time that Jesus goes to a territory or place. It says that everybody's bringing every sick person they can with the belief that if they could just touch the hem of his garment, that they would be saved. The faith of 11 guys in a boat is now just like spreading like fire through a community. And everybody's wanting to bring people that need to be saved to Jesus. And the Bible tells us, I thought it was special. It says that Jesus... It says all who touched him were healed. I think another translation says that he healed every single one of them. And listen, sometimes Jesus, God and his sovereignty and his providence, he chooses not to heal. Like that happens. But maybe what we need in a culture where everybody's just wishy-washy, like you can't even, there's no definition for anything anymore. And everything's just unstable and moving. Maybe we need, God just needs a few Christians to step up, step out of security or perceived security, step into the call of God and do something special that only God can do in that moment. And so what I want for us today is to think about what could that look like? And some of you, I know, you don't have the creativity. Like, you're just like, I guess I could uh, give my bonus to charity. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what you think. Like, some of you don't have the creativity to think about something special that God could do in your life. Then ask, like Peter, ask Jesus for it. Like, Peter says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. Jesus, like, all right, come on. And so for every Christian in here, I want you to take that moment. And here, this is one reason. If any of the other reasons have not convinced you, here's another one. This is what peter will be remembered for he'll also be remembered for denying jesus but hey balance it out it's a balancing test um what are you going to be remembered for like peter had a fishing business and jesus helped him have a banner fishing night remember overflows the boat probably multiple quarters worth of revenue were generated in one night. Peter could have taken that and invested it and made a bigger fishing business, but he wouldn't have been remembered for the fishing business. And the truth is, like, I try to tell this to our youth, but youth, (laughs) they're so goofy, they can't understand it. It's like how fleeting life is, how fleeting our generations are. And the truth is, even though BET, MTV, I don't know if VH1's still around, but all of these, all of these channels, even the stuff you watch on TikTok, they'll convince you of how important you are, right? But let me just give you the comfort of, it's unlikely that no one will know your name in a generation or two. (laughs) So then here's a question. What will you be remembered for? And I think right now, if God's, if you haven't thought about something that God's calling you to do, maybe you should. And it's not for your memory, it's for the, the gospel going forward to the next generation. You know, Alicia and I were talking about doubt and stuff attacking our faith and having to make these choices to, to walk with God and faith. And every layer of education you go through, like I can tell you this, zero layers of education bolster your faith. Not, nobody's like, you know what? We're gonna build your faith uh, with this master's program. Um, they're all like trying to take, take away from it. Like that happens. And if you're not solid and if you're not strong going into that, like you could be swayed by it. It could cause you to doubt. Next thing you know, you're the wave moving around, not knowing what you believe anymore. And now thanks to the internet, you don't have to go to the master's program. You can just go through a Google search and you'll find the exact same dynamic. But I was telling her, I was like one of the most meaningful things that happened for me was I saw God work with my own eyes. Like, I got to see people that were hard-hearted, that, like, hated my dad, you know, like that kind of thing. And I got to see him, like, passionately preach the word. You know, there were times where I was too shy. I'm like, oh, Dad, calm down. Don't act out the, don't act out the blind Bartimaeus guy. Come on. Um, but I got to see whenever he would preach that word that people that, no matter how hard their heart was, no matter how much the hate they had in their heart, the Holy Spirit could break their heart, and they would actually respond to God. And I've seen people that wanted to be atheists. Like they wanted to believe that everything in the Bible was just a fairy tale. And they set out to go and to disprove it. And these aren't like, this is, I think, really smart, a smart person. They set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they wanted it to be true. They wanted it not to be true, sorry, so that they could live their life. But they came back and like, I genuinely believe. This is why they come back. I've come to the conclusion and I'm like, oh, brother, I'm going to have to argue I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. And then the question was, what are you going to do with it? And I told her, so over and over again, it wasn't just the fact that I, that I tried to walk with God, tried to pray and try to find God in these moments. It was that I saw, I looked at the evidence around me and the people that chose the flesh, the people that chose disbelief, look at their life now. Look at what hope that gave them now. Nothing. And so for some of you, maybe God's calling you out to actually step out and really live out your faith because it's the only thing worth being remembered by. Because I could come up with Parker Corporation and we could sell all the widgets and gadgets that everybody in the world ever needed. And we could be extremely wealthy. But if I don't have children that love Jesus and serve Jesus and have the hope of Jesus, then what did I do? I have nothing. Most likely I introduced total dysfunction into my family by introducing wealth. If I don't have Jesus to guide those thought processes, we're screwed. So we walk with God because it's the only thing worth doing. And there's, if I asked you, what are you going to be remembered by? And you had something in your head that did not involve the kingdom work, then that's sad for you. Because what I want is I, I want my generations to walk with Jesus and serve Jesus. And I really believe this is the only thing worth being remembered for. And I want the same for yours too. Now the truth is when I look at families here and I see children coming to faith, I see like teenagers coming to faith or I see them being broken before God, like I don't, I don't get emotional that easy, but I get emotional in those moments because it's like, wow, that is God continuing his work through the next generation. But if we stay in the boat, if we stay glued to a phone or a screen or a paycheck, then we may sacrifice the effect of God letting us walk on water for even a second or two. So if you're here, my, my guess is all of us are struggling to live that out. And it's true that in this culture, we're afraid. Like you're afraid of what you're going to be called. Fanatic, crazy. You're afraid of what you're going to be called. I'm praying that God gives you a vision of what he wants you to do and that you step out and you follow in that vision. All right, last thing. Some of you are not saved. You're not a Christian. You're not even in the boat. You're somewhere else. I don't know. There may be other boats nearby. Um, and you have never actually made the commitment to follow Jesus, which I believe, once again, the act of Peter is almost like a, it's a symbolic of salvation that God, we call him, he calls us to him and then we step out, we get to go to him and we suck at it so he has to catch us. All right, and so here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, do not convince yourself to stay in the boat. Don't convince yourself that all the material stuff or the things you have are good enough. They're not. And if you feel God stirring up your heart right now to follow him, to walk with him, then step out and do that. All right, so everybody, let's stand up and we'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you, God, uh, for the stories that you give us, God. Stories that stir up our heart. Lord, stories that your Holy Spirit can take and do work with, God, in the hearts and minds of men. Lord, I pray right now, God, if somebody here, they've just been far away from you, far away from you, sitting in the boat, afraid of the waves, afraid of the wind, and God not trusting you, Lord, I pray that you'll stir up their heart today. If somebody here is not a Christian, God, they don't know what that looks like, God, I pray that you'll have them come down. And so, Lord, we pray all this in your holy name. We pray that you'll do work in our hearts, in our minds, God, that we'll be different going forward. And we give you thanks for what you're about to do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.